And so I, I really want everyone to know that while we might have a lot of things that are broken, humanity is a beautiful thing. Humans have such power to make everything better. And our kids are going to hold our future. And uh, they deserve us to like step into the best of humanity. Hey there, welcome to Nice Work episode 106. It's been a minute since we've rolled out an episode. Got to do this more often. Uh, anyway, it's podcast. We are a podcast. This is a podcast of the Super Nice Club, and we are doing our damnedest to encourage a nicer world. Uh, one of the nicer things in our world is children. And if you have a child, uh, if you're friends with kids, or you know, maybe maybe you were a child once yourself, then I'm pretty sure this episode will resonate with you. Uh, if you're none of those things welcome lizard person or alien overlord or whatever you are, whoever you are, I still think you'll learn a lot if you just keep listening. Today, today I talk with a really cool, warm, nice duo, Lori Woodley and Justine Fisher of All It Takes. And we talk a bit about their brand new free short film series called a trusted space. It's a six part series. They're all really short. Just take one in, sit with it for a minute and do the next one, uh, which is accompanied and there's links in the show notes. Uh, the series is accompanied by training guides and a bunch of other resources. Again, all this stuff is free that will help you help parents, teachers, students address the exhaustion, the behavioral challenges and the academic decline that's happening all over our education system. I'm talking about the United States. There's a lot of places that we get into, we talk about a little bit, where actually the education system is pretty awesome. It's just not here. But that's the awesome thing about being alive, is while we're breathing, we can change things. We can better things. We can do the work to improve things for those who come next. That's our kids, right? And if you think it's just you, if it's just your kids struggling, it's not. It's me. Uh, it's a lot of my friends. We're all facing this. And these short films, they do help. They help to unite us around and with effective tools that will help us foster resilience and healing and a really special kind of wisdom in our kids. The wisdom is already there. It just nourishes it and recognizes it as valuable. Just listen, you'll get it. Okay. All it takes, uh, that's a nonprofit that Lori and Justine uh, founded, work with, and they equip youth and educators with emotional intelligence skills to help them successfully navigate their lives and support and be part of their communities, right? Not just as these islands in an ocean, but to be part of something more. They teach young people at critical life stages to practice empathy, compassion, initiative, responsibility, and purpose. Okay, they also, you know, they're also going to learn calculus in school, but which of these things do you think ultimately is going to bring them more happiness? I don't know. Open question. Non-rhetorical. No, it's kind of rhetorical. But in short, at all it takes, they're dedicated to improving the health and lives of your kids. 
So please listen up. And when you're done listening, will you be extra super nice and share this episode with the educators and the parents you know? That would be so great. You just just you just copy the URL, send it, right? All of our devices are real good at sharing links. So it just takes eight seconds. And then you can go, I did something cool today. Pat yourself on the back. Um, Okay, if you've already heard me talk with Lori in episode 75 and you just want to skip to the, the new juicy stuff about a trusted space, it's about 30 minutes in. Just boop, skip ahead. But you'll be missing cool stories and so many witty asides. Okay, here we go. Lori Woodley, Justine Fisher of All It Takes, thank you for being on Nice Work today. This is the first podcast I've done in a minute and it's on location here in Simi Valley. I'm in your offices. Thanks for having me. So great to see you, to meet you in person, because last time we were in COVID days. Um, Thanks for coming in and inviting us in, Todd. So I am talking with Lori Lori Woodley of All It Takes and Justine Fisher. Hi, Justine. Hi, Todd. So great to see you here today. Thanks. Uh, I am in Simi Valley. When I drove in, there's a big smiley face like mowed into the hillside or burned into the hillside. Very super nice. Is that a is that a, a long standing thing at Simi Valley? What's it's, the story with the smiley face? It's a Simi Valley icon and actually it's just a welcoming to all the folks who come into Ventura County through that 118 freeway. So many people work in LA, work in the San Fernando Valley, and they're coming home. And it's really just an iconic reminder like, hey, we love it here and we're happy to have you here. And it's been around for decades. I like it. And then when it must get green at some point in the year too, right? Oh, totally. It's yeah. green and it starts to get faded as the grass grows and people will start to say, it's time to mow, it's time to mow. We even had, you know, people who want to take that mountain down or that little hill and build houses on it and it was an uprising. That <laughs> That's smiley awesome. face is, you know, central to the personality of people driving up over the hill and so into So Simi town. Valley is fighting for nice. I like it. For folks that aren't in California, Simi Valley is 40 miles northwest of downtown LA. Ronald Reagan Library is here. Uh, 1957, the first commercial nuclear reactor to supply electricity to public power systems is here in Simi Valley. Did you know that? I don't think I knew no. that. The Simi Valley's name is derived from the Chumash word Shmi, which refers to the stringy, thread-like clouds that typify the region. More interestingly to people that are not interested in ancient history, uh, everything everywhere all at once is set here in Simi Valley. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, primary industry is machinery and tools with 69 firms. I, I think the biggest industry in Simi Valley is families. Oh, well, I I don't think you're too far off because the number one employee, this is the segue thing, is the Simi Valley Unified School District, number one employer. And that leads to all it takes. So we do want to talk about your latest and greatest project, which is a trusted space. It's a series, trusted space, meeting the moment. But before we get into that, let's just rewind. What is all it takes When did you start it? Give us kind of a quick synopsis of what you two and the rest of your team are doing at All It Takes. I'll give you a little um, background on All It Takes creation and Justine can bring you up to speed on where we're at right now. Um, As a school counselor for about 28 years uh, in public schools and a resident of Simi Valley for 52 years, I really saw a need for social emotional competencies, resiliency, an ability to rebound um, from disappointment, 
ability to take accountability for things that go wrong without feeling shame around it. So I always was very experiential in the work that I did in schools. And in 2010, I decided that I was what I was doing at a school site was very effective and it should be bigger. So I stepped into starting a nonprofit and uh, we're 13 years in now. And what has happened over those 13 years is, is pretty remarkable. Not knowing coming out of the public sector, I didn't know how to run a business, how to run a nonprofit, but I knew work needed to be done to support our students. And then most recently in the last, I'd say five years, and especially since the 2020 pandemic, we really need to not only be supporting our students, but we need to be supporting the adults who support the students. Ooh, yeah. that, that became very clear that everyone is human and we all have our greatnesses and our, our breaking points. And uh, if we're only supporting one segment, then the people who are serving that segment aren't doing it well because they need the support too. So that's sort of the evolution that came out of my years as a school counselor. When you say supporting those people, referring to parents as well as teachers or just everybody around them? Well, I think of if we have even, you know, an hour a week with a student, if we're a soccer coach or we're a teacher, we're a parent, we have an opportunity to make a difference for them. And often we reduce our own thought on how much impact we have. So I think that no matter how much of a touch point we have with a student, we have an obligation to do that touch point well, but we're not necessarily training on how to do that. So a teacher is trained on how to teach math. A soccer coach is trained in how to, you know, train players. A piano teacher knows how to train piano keys, but they don't necessarily know how to relate to students and what they need in a moment from an emotional place. And without that piece in place, all the other things we want our students to do are not happening as well as we want them to. I feel that. Some years ago, I I'd spent a couple of years coaching basketball at a Waldorf school, which is sort of almost oxymoronic. I didn't know a thing about teaching sports, but these kids, I would often go home feeling like ah, I didn't connect with so-and-so. There were a couple of players that I just felt like they needed more from me or from someone. You know, you could just tell like, this kid is struggling and how do I get to that kid? I had some successes. You know, I had young uh, men come back to me years later and I was surprised by like the amount of that one hour a day, three days a week impacted them. But there were others where I just felt like, God, I wish, I wish, like I'm, I'm at a loss here. I, I went to the bookstore and I got books on how to coach, you know, and how to, you know, diagram plays, but there was nothing that ever in any of those books mentioned how to connect with humans who are struggling with things for the first times in their lives. And then how to recognize that what I'm not getting out of them, maybe potentially as a player, might not have anything to do with me, but it might have something to do with what's going on in their lives. And we're mm -hmm. not really trained. And educators aren't yeah. really trained to really understand the real deep impact of what we walk into the building with is affecting what we're capable of in the building. And again, that's not just true for students. It's true for those who are serving them also. So it could be a campus supervisor, could mm -hmm. be the te classroom teacher or the administration. Like, you know, we don't ask teachers to teach calculus without them being experts in calculus. But I don't we know. My calculus teacher, Miss <laughs> Cannon, did not know what she was doing. 
I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens. And we can all look back in our brains and go, oh, that teacher Anybody really Anybody who went to Pleasant me. Valley High School in Chico in the late 80s, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's funny. I'm yeah. kidding. You say calculus and I shiver. Yeah. <laughs> I say calculus because I shiver with math. Okay. Like you, if you're not good at teaching to all kids, some of us, like you and I, fall apart in math or fall apart in writing or fall, right? So the whole point is we have to be able to meet the needs of our students and we have to be able to look beyond or consider that there's something going on beyond what's right in front of our face mm -hmm. in order to meet their needs in a way that the education system needs to be doing right now, especially post-pandemic. Um, I came here from working at another nonprofit as an advocate for students and youth and children in the education arena and mostly advocating also for parents. And what, you know, what you're talking about and what we do here at All It Takes, which is really that whole ecosystem of, you know, the trifecta of students, those who serve them, and the place where they spend the majority of their day other than their home, which is school, mm -hmm. right? So when you look at our youth, their parents, their coaches, their teachers, the admins at the school, and the school site itself um, as a place of trust and belonging and commitment, making that accessible to them in ways that nurtures them to become productive adults to be to find their way to make their choices to offer resilience to give them skills to give them content right all of those things are super important in the growth and development of a human being you know that's kind of what we we do here at all it takes in the broadest biggest picture which is helping those who serve youth figure out how to build the best relationships with them and for youth helping them understand and come to the point where there is hope and resilience and it's within within you. Mm -hmm. um, and we are really excited about the Meeting the Moment series because of the diverse voices. They're telling the story of their moment. They're telling the story of the time we're in right now. And I think it's a critical time for all of us. Absolutely. Lori, when you and I spoke last, it was in the middle of the pandemic. Up until that point, you had been getting people in from all over the world flying into these camps. Uh, you had a lot of momentum on them. Have, have they rebounded? Are you, st are you back into the camps fully underway? If so, where are they taking place? How often? Yeah, so we are back. And that was a beautiful thing to be able to see people again, you know, like even to have you here, see you in person. Right, in person. Yeah. Right. Um, they are back and there's still just a few a year. And so um, what's available for the public to access, it would be on our website. Um, we do have a lot of schools that bring groups of students uh, so that you know, they also have a student experience, but then they have staff have an experience of these students and are able to see them from new eyes, new ways. Like, you know, we like to say, look, as you're here with these students, whether we're on their campuses or they're coming to our overnight programs, watch these students as if you've never met them before. Like some of these students might be the greatest thorn in your side every day, right? Which is why you brought them. Like maybe we can do something. But if we don't start looking at our students from the, the lens of who you might be that I don't already know, we, that, that's kind of like the human thing. It's like, oh, you're that and you're that. 
But if we can start to look at a lens and an interest in another human with curiosity and discovery, then we have an opportunity to, to know them differently and see their genius. Yeah, once you tell a, a person that they're a thing and enough people tell them they're that thing, they start to identify very much as that thing. Oh, you are neurologically divergent in this way. That's what you are. Yeah. Everything is through that lens. You know, I think it's, it's tough for people. I have a story about that that, I, that just crushed me. I was in a school site um, maybe six months ago, and I was walking through an auditor or cafeteria during lunch, and there was probably maybe a fourth grader walking in front of me. And it was lunchtime, so there's kids everywhere. everywhere. And this one student, just the way we happen to be walking, he's just about three feet in front of me. He's walking towards the same door as I am through this auditorium. And this campus supervisor came from the side, like, you know, kind of teed us off. Mm -hmm. And she's like, where are you going? And this little young human just kind of looked up at her and then looked down at the food tray in front of him that he was holding. And he said to the office, well, of course you are. Mm. And I, I had a visceral body reaction to that. Like that child was never going to get a chance with that woman. Right. And I literally had to go to talk to admin and just not like, oh, she should be in trouble, but like right. your kids deserve better. Like that woman needs to be trained on how to see students in their possibility, not in their not in what we've decided about them. And so your question really was around the camps and how parents get involved. And we, you know, rabbit hole into this conversation about seeing kids differently, which is really more what the camps do when mm -hmm. we're there. Uh, but I did want to circle back to the importance of us as parents and us as a school system to decide that in addition to soccer and dance and recitals and football and that putting and investing into opportunities for us to learn to see each other, mm -hmm. kids to adults and adults to kids in a new way is our way forward. Well, it sounds like where last time we focused on two things a lot, emotional intelligence and leadership, which are core all it takes missions, fair? Yeah. Leadership and emotional intelligence and leadership displaying emotional intelligence is pretty rare in our world right now. When you look at world leaders, local leaders, any kind of quote unquote leaders, but people that we invest our trust into are often not displaying a lot of emotional intelligence, whether they're politicians on either side of the aisle or they're the, the sort of business heroes, the Elon Musks, you know, the, the Jeff Bezos is these characters who display low level emotional intelligence. And yet we consider them idols, icons, and leaders in many instances, which is wild. There was a time when we looked at Einstein, Einstein, and others that were scientists, and we thought of them as leaders. But, you know, if you look at kind of the world as today and what you're talking about, which is life skills, and usually in my experience for those who are very 
highly scientific minded who have done incredible things in the field of science or the field of medicine or even the field of commerce, they normally have a person behind them who is the life skill person there, that yeah. in the in the back scenes are like, let me write this for you or maybe you shouldn't have sent that or now we got to respin that or now that because yeah. life skills, which we all need, some people are natural at them. Like maybe a professional athlete is natural at basketball. And then once they've had a lot of training and coaching are exemplary at basketball, right? Well, life skills are the same. You may have some proficiency that is internal to you. And then you get training and coaching and you are exemplary at life skills. And we see those people too. Brene Brown is a person who is exemplary at showing these are life skills. These are things we need. Um, and, you know, I often say, you know, when you're on social media, there's always posts from people about be kind and love your friends and girlfriends are important and your spouse is important and we have to remember this and take a breath. And there's nothing on social media that people post that say, hey, let me tell you how to be a jerk right? Because we get to do that naturally. We all can figure out how to be mean when we are feeling less about ourselves or concerned about something in our lives or that we aren't enough or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. But the skills that we teach here at All It Takes, the skills, these life skills, they are what say to us, you know what? I am enough. I'm a good person. I have skills. I can learn more things. I am resilient. I can be better in relationships. And when I'm better in relationships, I'm a happier person. And when I'm a happier person, people around me are happier. And then what do we get? We get super nice, happy people. And that is what the world is lacking today, right? Super happy, nice people. Or if those people are out there, that's not recognized as a valuable skill in a way that moves people ahead. Financially, it doesn't move them ahead. Culturally, the people that we value are the ones who are having financial success above anything else. It feels like that, right? Especially yeah. in our country, like the, you know, the, the bigger your pocketbook, the bigger your bank account, the more value you have. And we are definitely speaking you know, the opposite of that, or we're, you know, we're not speaking against that, like, okay, you know, if you've earned that bank account, great. You can do both. You can do both. Totally. Yeah. And, and that's what I want every adult who's serving kids to see about their kids. You can have what you dream of, but without the skills of being able to rebound from disappointment, being able to say, oops, yes, I did that. I hurt you. I failed that test. Not you were a bad teacher. Not you did this. Not you did, like I did that. I could do better like X, Y, and Z for next time and believe that about ourselves. I think that society has shamed in general, like the messaging is if you're not perfect, it's shameful. If you don't do this, this, and this, it's shameful. If you come from this neighborhood, it's shameful. And then the messaging is that. And so then it incorporates into the, our body's ecosystem. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. And people, you know, I feel shame because of X, Y, and Z, which I didn't have any control over. Our babies don't have any control over where they're born. No, esteem right? issues are something, and it's something that you brought up in our first interview, you said when you were a student, you were very shy and that you felt unsafe in, in school. And 
looking back now, do you feel that that was something that was more, you know, nature nurture? Was it a cultural thing, something within your environment? Or were you just born a relatively introverted person who had to then go into a school system that challenged that? Love that question. I I think it's a combination of both. I do believe we we come, that my personal belief is we come to the world with some predispositions. I think I came more as a an observer, a quieter, more introverted, like take things in. And then I was a first child, so the one that needed to be perfect. So you have the first child dynamics that is very common. Um, you can read about it in tons of literature, right? Right. And so the piece of observing, the piece of feeling not quite good enough, not being able to get it good enough as the first child. Of course, that's not what my parents thought they were doing, right? But it is what happened. Um, and then you put me in school and and I didn't ever fit in. Like I never felt like I fit in. And uh, I, I've been talking a lot about this lately at some keynotes I've been doing and really like how is it that I can stand in front of a and keynote? Like that person back in the, you know, in middle school was terrified. My, this person, me, I was terrified of everything. Every adult don't talk to me. But there was somewhere along the way that I discovered what mattered to me deeply and then had some experiences and even did some work on looking back into the impact of teachers on me. Mm. I think this can be important right here because when I look back, there are some teachers who destroyed my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And at the same time as there were those who were shattering me, of course, I'm sure that's not what their intention was. But again, they didn't have the skills to meet the needs of all the kids in front of them. The flip side of that is I had some teachers who completely believed in me. And they offered different types of modalities of teaching or, you know, like one teacher, I just think about a lot in eighth grade, a science teacher, he said, hey, those of you who aren't comfortable in the oral report, here's the option. You can choose to do your oral report with the lights off. For me, that is such a simple thing. And I look back and that's the kind of thing our education system doesn't do right now. Mm. That teacher recognized mm. that some of us in his class were going to take ownership of the stage and love that oral report. But that a lot of us in the class were going to be so terrified that even what we could deliver wouldn't be what he could really judge our aptitude on because delivery would be so petrifying right. that we couldn't be our best. Right. So he found some kind of way to offer that. And so I look back now. And what was his name? Mr. Fidel. Mr. Of course, Fidel. I, of course I do. All right. Yeah. 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 His daughter was in the same grade as me and we still communicate. She's up in the, you know, kind of central coast and, uh, you know, communicate. And just recently I actually sent her a Facebook text and said, look, I just wrote a story about your dad about eighth grade. She's like, wow. But I have other stories on the other side. And then mm -hmm. it takes us growing up to decide which one is, which ones of these are we going to let define our future? Amen to that. And I'm going to interject and make that this episode super nice challenge, which is to just think about for a second, think about the teacher or teachers, we almost all had them, who reached us, right? Who saw us. And when we were small, we saw that they were seeing us and it made a difference. 
So think about that person. Maybe they're still around. Maybe they aren't. If they are still around, consider reaching out and giving them a little love. If you have a child in school and that child is right now with one of those teachers, thank that teacher at your next parent-teacher meeting. That kind of fuel for especially public school teachers makes a huge difference to get a parent to see them as a human that is helping their child. That's really important. That's the challenge, all right? Go to the teacher in your life that made a difference and let them know. Did you have that kind of teacher, Justine? Yeah, I actually did. I will say, interestingly enough, and I, be- I believe what Lori says, where we come sort of wired and then how we're nurtured maybe makes a difference. I am dyslexic and I struggled in school but had figured out the wherewithal to kind of cover it up and still get by pretty well. But I had parents who were very much about advocacy for those underserved, and that was kind of a part of my life as a young child. And then that helped me just as a person become kind of a justice-focused advocate in that way. But in high school, when I was struggling with some some things, getting harder and harder to cover up your, um, at the time, problem, but now, you know, something I love about myself, which is my dyslexia, because it helps me see the world in a different way. Yeah. At the time, I had a teacher. Her name was Freema Rude. Oddly enough, I stayed in touch with Freema, and we met regularly a couple times a year until she passed away when she was 86 years old. Oh. And she taught me things that had nothing to do with school, but they were lessons I've carried with me my whole entire life. They were things like never lay any shoulds on yourself. You know, you should have done it. Well, you didn't. Here's the consequence. What are you going to do? That was a big one that I keep all the time. She, you know, said lots of times what happens, it's not about you. You have to think about what's happening for this person. They may be lashing out at you or they may be having a bad day. It's not you. So you need to think about that, right? Um, The other one she said was that it's so much better for us to stay in discomfort because we know it than try to find something better. These were all like mm. life lessons, life skill lessons right. in 10th grade that have made my adult life, my adult relationships, my adult choices to be an advocate, to work in the nonprofit world. They were all things that formed me. And I'm so grateful for them because teachers especially exceptionally good ones who are not just great at their academic craft, but at their relationship building craft. It's truly the career that makes the future possible. Parents out there, I know we all can at times get frustrated with the teachers of our kids. Please try to remember that they did not go into this career for money. They went into the career because they give a damn. They give a damn about your kids. Now, maybe they seem burned out because they probably are because they get a lot of flack from teachers, from society, from school districts, and they have volunteered to go insert themselves into a fairly broken system. 
they can't really fix it on their own, but they say, hey, that's kind of like, I guess if you are an idealistic politician, like I'm going to fix it, you know? So it's the same thing with teachers. And if you see them burned out, try to have a little bit of empathy for the reason why they're there with your kids in the first place, okay? Are there bad teachers? Of course there are bad teachers, but they're in the minority because the career weeds bad teachers out. Like there's not enough money to stay in it if you hate the job. So I just want to also, the secondary challenge is, is just like be a little super nicer to the, the, the teachers in your life, all right? They're in a really tough spot in most cities, counties, states in the United States. So let's move into, at last, at long last, the award-winning A Trusted Space, your six-part series, A Trusted Space, Redirecting Grief to Growth, the documentary that tackles pressing educational challenges exacerbated by the pandemic and aims to transform crisis into opportunity. Movies are so dear to me, to a lot of people, and hey, I live in LA, but not necessarily for the entertainment value alone, but because they're how humans tell stories in a very powerful way, important stories, very important stories. Movies have the, the potential to get people to think and to talk and to look at things in a different way. And they also offer an opportunity, even in big Hollywood blockbusters, to insert some just like stealth teaching moments that can change entire cultures. So you guys, you're making movies here to educate and change lives and nudge larger society in a super nicer direction. So jump into telling the history of how this came about, what it is, how people can get into it, the whole thing. I want to hear all about it, every little bit. Every little bit. Every well, little we bit. have a lot to say about it. So um, the first one, Todd, was... A Trusted Space Redirecting Grief to Growth. That okay. film was done in 2020. And the reason that film was made is because on June 3rd, 2020, I received a text from a local school district client, Chris Fitzgerald of Westside Union School District in Palmdale, Lancaster. She sent me a text that said, please grab that producer friend you just met and make a film on trauma because our teachers will never understand the impact if they have to pay to attend a workshop. Mm. That night, I sent that text to a Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker who I had just met three months before, just prior to the pandemic hitting, and said, I just got this. And she said, let's do it. By the next day, I sent Chris a text that said, let's get on a Zoom. She's like, wow, that's fast. Karen Gornick, who was the other producer, grabbed a filmmaker and his production assistant wife and Literally two and a half months later, we launched a 45-minute docu-training film that, sitting on our little website, traveled 27 countries and all 50 states. PBS picked it up. And, That's incredible. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And we wrote a 120-page curriculum. It was ready in two and a half months. And we had experts in the field of education, trauma, in the field of sociology. Pedro Naguera, world-renowned sociologist, is the dean of students at USC Rossier School of Education. We were in these people's yards in the summer of 2020. I'd never even heard of them before. Because when you do good things and you want to put it out for free and you want to say, we just want to be in service, mm -hmm. good people say yes. 
And that film was the catalyst for the launch of the current film series, which is a trusted space meeting the moment. Because while that film still has all the correct information, all the science is accurate, everything, nothing is old in the first film, except, mm -hmm. except the experts, all the interviews were on Zoom. No one wants to watch Zoom interviews anymore. True. And all of the B-roll and the background is in masks. And no one wants to see that anymore. Oh, yeah. so you got to update everything. <laughs> we had to update it all because it, first off, it had a life to it for a year and a half longer than we thought it would mm -hmm. because the information is so relevant and the scene of teachers and the pain of their experience is so palatable that the film literally had longer, had a longevity we didn't expect. But it did fade out because people are not interested anymore in Zooms and masks. Right. And so the series right now is at allittakes.org, right? Anybody wants to, to yeah. click so and a trusted watch space. Right yep. And there's two yep. films out and they're shorts. So right. the first one was longer. This one, the first one is 14 minutes mm -hmm. and it's educator and parent focused. That's where it comes from. But we have, like you were talking about stories, we have student voice, parent voice, educator voice, administrator voice, and expert voice in all of these films. We interviewed for two months across California, and people have important things to say, and the rest of us should be listening. So you have two that have released out of six, is that right? Correct. Okay, and so what's the release schedule like? So by the end of the, this current year, our goal is to have all six out. And these are the first six um, contracted in partnership with CalHOPE Schools. Um, they can be found on our website and calhopeschools.org, which of course has additional resources also for California education, or for the California education ecosystem. That's parents and educators. And, um, and one of the things I think is important to say to parents and to educators is, and you spoke to this, Todd, film is a catalyst for something bigger. And what I like to think of these shorts as is the opportunity to take the cell out of why we need to have powerful, important conversations. Mm. Because the films do that for us. If a parent sat and watched film two with their student, because film two is eight minutes and it's student forward, it's meant to be watched by our secondary age students and then have a conversation with a counselor at school, with a classroom teacher, with a mom, with a dad, with a soccer coach. Like, oh my gosh, you're, are you guys feeling what these kids in this film are saying? Oh, I didn't realize how much of an impact all that's been going on in your world is having on you. And then you have accompanying documents to help further those conversations, correct? Each film has um, resources and guides to it, um, which is really helpful. They're prompts for discussion. And, you know, I think what is a key thing to say, and Lori has said it, is that this is a point, a jumping off point. It's something to share together and to talk about. It's like going to any other movie and talking about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. It gives parents kind of the opportunity to say, do you see yourself in here or anyone you know? Does, any, does this look like anyone you know? It also maybe gives students kind of a chance to see a perspective for adults. And the resources are research informed. They are um, easy to 
to, to work with. You don't need to be, have a PhD in education for any of this. You just really need to have a desire, which I think mostly every parent does and mostly every teacher does and every coach does to really want to support the youth that they work with. What's available now in this world as of today, um, especially these shorts for our docu-training series are really kind of cutting edge. We are doing this because we saw the need and the need is great. What is the first short film? What is the, the title and the focus of the very first one? The very first short film of this docu-training oh, this series, series yeah. is a trusted space meeting the moment. Okay, what is that we're in the moment. It covers where we are, like post-pandemic, where we are. There are there were things that were happening pre-pandemic that are still happening and have gotten much more exacerbated after the pandemic. The pandemic has brought them to life, right? Mm-hmm. The, everyone now has seen them, they're aware of them. That first film, A Trusted Space, that was made in 2020 was like, oh my gosh, where are we? What is happening? This isn't, no one was prepared for this. Um, And these current docu-training series is, hey, we got through this. It's not over. This is what we learned. This is where we're still struggling. This is where we need help. Let's figure out a way to be prepared for these things in the future. Or let's figure out a way to help the youth that were most impacted by the pandemic. Well, it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, that's so three years ago. Hmm. Um, But I will say that, um, you know, I was evacuated during the 1972 earthquake in the San Fernando Valley, and that has stayed with me forever. That was the scariest thing I think I'd ever encountered in my life. Um, And there was some you know, ongoing trauma and fear about that. I'm kind of an earthquake freak now. Like, is that up against the wall? Do we have a place to go? Do we have water? Do we have food? Are we going to, you know, what's going to happen? These are all traumatic experiences. And the pandemic for our wider world was a traumatic experience. Oh, for sure. And everyone with, with students or students themselves know that it disrupted their academic experience. It disrupted their social experience, especially if you have kids in in college that were going through it, as I did, my oldest, Justice. What's up, buddy? It also sounds like a video, it's a short video, the first one, uh, that sets up the groundwork for the what's to come in the series, um, that parents would want to share with other parents so that they can have these conversations among themselves. I think that it's, it's just pause the podcast, take a few minutes to go watch that one right now, and then you'll see that it's something that would be really valuable to just cut and paste the link and send it out within your classroom uh, conversation, whatever you're using. You're all using some sort of, of inner classroom communication thing. I actually get kicked out of them because I post funny stuff and people don't like my humor, but it's okay. But get in there and post it in there to share it within your school, within your class. And then you will have common ground with all of the 30 other parents even if you don't know them, you'll all have something that you can root this school year in. And the school year has just started. It's still fresh. Uh, I think it could be a really nice thing for you guys to do. And then when you see the next one, post that one, have a conversation within that group around the content of the next one and just keep going through there. These are the things that can not only help you feel 
like you have better tools as a parent and obviously the teacher in your classroom as well, but that you have more touch points with these other parents that you don't really know. You might know four or five or six if you're like the popular parent in the class, but you don't know the rest of them because they're coming from different places. Uh, there's a class divide that is wild in this country, unless you're in a private school, which is, I'm not being anti-private school, I'm just saying generally in the public schools. So doesn't it make sense that this could be a good thing to connect parents with parents? Yes, and then parents back to the school and right. this, and then develop that trust again between um, school and parents, parents and schools. And our kids need us to model that. We're asking them to be nice to each other. We're asking them to go make new friends. We're asking them to change friends when things go wrong. And yet we're not modeling really good behavior in that. And I think, Todd, one of the things I'd like to say is the subtitle of the first film is A Trusted Space Meeting the Moment, A Blueprint for Hope. And every one of these films has us confront the true pain that, that's really happening with our students mm -hmm. and our education system, but not leaving us in some dismal place of, of, oh my gosh, it's a mess and there's no hope on the other side. All of them leave us in the end with like an opportunity to think about a way forward and think about what can be better for our kids and better for the adults who are serving them. And so I really, you know, we're talking about kind of how messed up it is. The first film starts, um, Marcy Melvin, she says, education is a hot mess. Can I say that? Hot mess. That's how the first film starts because that's the truth. Right. And it ends more with oh, here's some things to make it better. And so I, I really want everyone to know that while we might have a lot of things that are broken, humanity is a beautiful thing. Humans have such power to make everything better. And our kids are going to hold our future. And uh, they deserve us to like step into the best of humanity. And I think that's what these films do. So many parents put such a premium on academic success. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. That's cool. It's really hard for some kids, uh, and I have a lot of experience with this, if they're going through emotional challenges and stress, there's no way to get that academic excellence out of them. Or you might be able to squeeze it out of them for a little bit, but it's going to end up there will be a price to pay for that. So you are really keying in on emotional resilience, uh, the tools to reduce and address stress, and that unlocks a lot of academic opportunities. So if you're listening to this thing, yeah, I really just want to make my kid get straight A's because that's how they're going to get the scholarship. Cool. Love it. We're with you there. But looking at the stressors and the, and the emotional issues here and being able to get at that, my God, that is the most confusing part of being a parent, all right? And I just have boys, so it's easy for me because they're much less emotionally complex. I'm not being funny. It's just, you know, true. Until we get into our 30s and 40s, then it kind of evens out. This is what I love about the whole thing, right, is, is that emotional component of it. How have you seen or where do you see the work that you're doing, the work in this series, extending to the academic world in terms of improving things? Well, from like what we're doing is matching best practices and evidence-informed work. There's all the research. In fact, I dare any, you know, bring me an, a research piece that says relationships 
should come after academics. Nothing says that. <laughs> I, I mean, if somebody can find the research that says that, I welcome it because none of the research that we understand to be true says that. Yet the education system is still trying to put academics before relationships. Teachers are trying to do rules, academics, and then maybe, maybe I'll, I'll be in some kind of like warm relationship with my students after they're afraid of me. That's, that, that is like over a century old style of education that didn't work then, it doesn't work now, and it really, really, really doesn't work now. Right. Our kids have too much access to so much more information. They know bullshit when they see it. You might have worked in Prussia in the 1800s, right? Or yep. something. What about um, what is going on in the rest of the world? Are there things that you see with your decades of experience in teaching, the two of you, that is like, oh, we should be taking this that they're doing in this country and implementing it here in the U.S.? Netherlands. Yeah, I was going to say Scandinavia, the Netherlands, Sweden, Switzerland, those areas all are so student-focused, small class size, totally understand neurodiversity, uh, um, there's just so many wonderful things happening. I will say in the Netherlands, they've done great jobs in accepting refugees and holding up their cultures while also getting them acclimated to the Netherlands so that we are all one. It's not us and them. Um, those great things are happening. Um, we um, have an associate in um Great Britain, who's doing an incredible amount of work on um, about bringing um, curriculum on on climate change, on um, environmental issues that they are looking at pilot programs. That that's amazing. There's a lot of good things happening, and I want to also say, having spent. This is oh. interesting. No, that test to the National Wireless yeah, Emergency yeah, Alert System. Yeah, it's today. Well, the emergency alert system is working really Which well in Simi Valley. I'm feeling We're very glad to safe know. here. Now, there goes Lori. Next, mine's in the other room. Is it okay? It's working. Yeah. It's working, and we get it. We get annoyed by these things. But I'm they're like, important. The podcast, but uh, I went through the fires in Santa Rosa a few years back, where these alert things were not entirely working. And if they had been working better, you know. Um, we might have had a little bit, still would have had the fires, but we might have had less loss. Yeah. They're annoying, but they're important. Okay. So, so I do want to. the world. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to also get back to, I've spent, as I said, a lot of years as an advocate, a lot of years in Sacramento around education and other things. Um, I've had times that have been really disheartening. And I've also really want to say, I've had some times where I'm amazed at how fortunate we are. Um, I've seen amazing teachers do incredible things with barely any resources. I will say there are schools all over with teachers that are inviting and engaging and schools that are inclusive and really creating these safe spaces, really putting forward the intention that, you know, being a person and relationships, which we all have throughout our lifetime, is a key to that academic success. So those things are happening. Sadly, we don't hear about that a lot, right? We're hearing about this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And it colors our world that everything is bad. But that's not necessarily true. I think that a lot of your listeners 
would be able to say, hey, this is really great at my school or my kid's school. I think that people can say, I want to do a shout out to this teacher who's doing this incredible program. You know, oddly enough, all the men in my family are teachers. My husband's a retired teacher. My brother is a teacher. My son's a teacher. My son-in-law is a teacher. Wow. Yeah, everybody. All the men are teachers. All the women are managers. What does that say about our family? I like it. Uh, But all the men are teachers. And, you know, they are all really in the teaching profession because they like kids. Mm-hmm. They just were like, where am I going to be my best self and how am I going to do my best thing? And I think there are teachers there everywhere. And, you know, I give props to my son-in-law, who's a very young teacher. Um, and the things he comes up with using music or using apps or using, I don't even know what, I'm like, oh my gosh. He's, and he says, you know, they, he can create all these games for his students. Students love that, right? There are good teachers like that everywhere. We just don't get to hear about them. So I want to say, well, we do have a lot to correct systemically in California education, because this isn't 1845 anymore. We also have a lot of really great teachers that we should be saying, hey, what you're doing is good. And we need to share that out. We need to make sure that everybody has access to it. Um, I think teaching, like many other jobs, careers in this world now is much more collaborative. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the people that benefit from that are our students. I agree. Shout out in that vein to Ms. Dalton at Westside Elementary in Healdsburg. Thank you for what you're doing. And and that's like you talked about the Netherlands, you know, one of the things that because we talk so much social, emotional and emotional intelligence and relationship based, but education and academics need to be delivered in ways that are um, creative and that they attach. I bet this teacher you just spoke to or you just spoke of, I bet this teacher actually makes academics something that is attainable and attachable to a student's experience in life, right? Like what we're, we do this whole learn it, take a test, forget it, right? That's kind of what it's been old school. And what the Netherlands is doing, and I think there's a big push in, in solid, you know, education pedagogy, is we need to be having all of our academics be something attached to what that might mean for me in my world, mm-hmm. what that might be for me in my future and my dreams. And Never what, saw it in calculus. No. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but somehow great creative teachers can do that. Mm-hmm. And our kids need us to do that because otherwise they're so entertained by all the other things which we didn't touch on, which is a whole different conversation around social media and social access. And when they see themselves being able to learn something in a YouTube video that they quickly get in 10 minutes, but have to sit through an entire school year, 50 minutes a day on that topic, why would I do that? And our education system needs to meet our kids where they're at, not where they used to be. Well, real quick question. When teachers are being taught to be teachers right now, is emotional intelligence part of that for themselves and being able to see it and assess it in children? This is our experience. Every time we do a training, every time of educators, we hear, I wish I'd learned this in my teaching program. Mm. So I want to say either no or definitely not enough. Mm. Okay. Yep. 
not surprised, but I think that is such a big difference maker when we look back. Dalton, uh, my Mr. Gridley, your teacher, your teacher. These are people who just got it. They had it, right? They were emotionally intelligent people who had the ability to see that in these kids, what, what we needed, what we all needed. I think they just happened to be teachers. They may have done another career and excelled because of that same gift. And, and I want to speak about one, like we don't have to be a certain kind of person to do this. So teachers out there, parents out there, if you're not a warm, fuzzy person, being in a relationship with others doesn't have to be warm, fuzzy. It gets to be your way. And I want to tell a story about a, a college professor I had before going into psychology, I thought about law. And I had this teacher who was kind of a hard nose and he wasn't all that pleasant. And I turned in a paper once and he called me forward. He gave me a grade on it. And I, maybe it was a C or a B. And he called me forward. And even though he wasn't the most pleasant person to be in class with, what he said to me also changed my world because he said, you know, you can do better. He called me aside so one, he didn't call me out because uh, that great. would have been under the rug, right? I couldn't have heard him. That was a typical way people do it. He called me aside and he said, you know what? I believe you can do better than this. I, I want you to take this paper back and I want you to redo it for me because you can do better than this. And while he wasn't pleasant for me to go into every day, he right. didn't fit my personality style. He saw me, he believed in me, and he gave me a second chance. I was a better academic, harder worker, dedicated to a better version of myself because of that man. And so I want to just say that we don't all look the same. We don't have to. We just need to find our way to reach others in a way that they can be reached. Mm. I love it. And, and the, the six-part series will help teacher students mm -hmm. and parents, yes, parents, do those things. And we, I mean, we have to remember, and for parents, parenting isn't easy. Um, you don't know what you're going to get, right? And you don't know what it's going to bring up from you from your own childhood. You're working in some capacity, whether it's outside the home or inside the home. You've got things pressing on you. You have familial issues. You have all these things happening, and teachers are the same. They've got a career, and they have, if they're in high school or middle school, they may have 150 students, you know, a day in classes. And in a way, they're like their children, right? So they have needs, and um, there's a lot of pressing issues and all these things. And so I think one of the things that is clear in our work at All It Takes and also in the docu-training series is we're not asking for some kind of massive shift that says all of a sudden now I've got to get rid of everything I know, and now I've got to be this kind of person. Now I've got to do all these things. Now I've got to change my whole world. We're just saying, no, there's a few little things that you can think about in your relationships, whether it's adult to adult, adult to student, adult to child, whatever it is that can make the relationships better, that can make you feel better, that can make your world easier. Mm -hmm. And they're simple things. They're practical things. And they're things that we maybe know, but we forget because we're always bombarded with messages that... We have to, I don't know, do complicated things, and things don't need to be complicated. They need to be 
kind and simple um, and what works for you as a family, what works in your classroom. Um, these are all really, really important things. And I think at the end of our days, each of us may retrospectively look back and probably think more about the relationships we had with the people close to us than maybe any other thing in our life, right? Mm -hmm. That's because human beings are about relationship. That is a core central part of our existence is being in relationship with somebody else. And so why don't we just take the opportunity to do it a little better? So if, if you're not sold on the videos at atrustedspace.org, uh, let's, let's do what Lori and Justine were just talking about, which was attach those videos to things in your life and in your world beyond your kids, all right? Because uh, you might not have kids and you might be still listening to this, which is amazing. If you don't have kids, you're still listening to this. I love you a lot. Emotional intelligence is something that impacts every relationship you're in. Okay, so the one with yourself and with uh, the child that you used to be but still are, you still are, your coworkers, your um, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, uh, everybody you come into contact with, you can improve the life of a stranger by exhibiting kindness and emotional intelligence by recognizing that they're going through something. You're at some coffee shop. You know, a local one, hopefully, not a not a big chain. And the barista is just in a foul place. Don't call for their job. Recognize that maybe something horrible just happened, right? A little bit of empathy. These videos have value that go way beyond just the triangle of teacher, child, parent. And here's what's super cool. They're super short, all right? So you can watch one, you know, while you're doing something else. And you can break them up. There's six of them. You can do one a day for a week. Uh, if you do that, if you watch each one and you email me, I'll send you something in the mail. I'm not sure what. could be like a plant leaf or a crumpled up piece of paper. Probably super nice club stickers. And you can lie about it. You're going to say, I watched them all. I'm not going to quiz you because I want to, I'm choosing to believe that Super Nice Club members are honorable. But please watch them. Um, I'm just, this is me just trying to bribe you and urge you to, to check out this material. And above and beyond that, share that material because, yeah, I'm in favor of supporting the people in the organizations that are the guests on this podcast. That's awesome. But it's about the work. It's about, I want to live in a world where more and more people have higher and higher emotional intelligence. So we can all, I think you do too, listeners. So taking these videos and putting them out there, it actually makes a difference, right? This is something you can actually do for a change that might make more of a difference in the box you check when you go vote. Ooh, I mean, I know that's a big thing to say, but I'm saying it might, all right? Or it might have the same amount of impact. Lori and Justine, real quick, do you have, either or both of you, just a little challenge, just something you can issue to listeners of the podcast to, that you just want to, it's, it's your super nice challenge. It's your moment to say, hey, here's something that you can do to make your world or the world a little better place. I'm going to start with, Lori, you raise your mic. Okay, so my challenge to your listeners is do something nice for someone who drives you crazy. Ooh, Find the teacher or find the parent 
who is the hardest one to understand, triggers you the most, and be nice to them, do something that maybe eases their day just a little bit. I like it. And my super nice challenge is when you are driving and you're stopped at a stoplight and there's a car next to you. Rev your engine real loud? No. Look at that car and just say out loud to the person in it. They don't have to hear you if your windows are rolled up or theirs are, but just say out loud. I hope you get everything you need today. Okay. Both of those challenges are accepted. I'll do mine on my way out of here back to Los Angeles for the car one. The other one, I need, I need to think on that one. Who drives me crazy? That person doesn't come to mind right away, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure they will. Um, and any last words of, uh, that you want to put out there into the universe about all it takes, where people can meet with you, how they get their kids involved, anything? Again, all the things that we're doing and how to access all of these free um, and very few paid programs, but all of this is mostly free, is at allittakes.org. And if you're a California resident, um, uh, calhopeschools.org is a great place to go also for even greater resources, especially in the world of mental health if, you're, if you have a child who's struggling. Fantastic. All right, Justine, parting shot. Take care of yourself out there. It's a tough world, but we know you can do it. So thank you both for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Love being able to get back here and do a round two with you because you've got so much more going on now. Thank you for the chance. And uh, welcome to the club. Happy to be in this club. Me too. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with Lori Woodley and Justine Fisher. I really did enjoy talking with the two of them. Gives me a lot of hope. Um, Makes me feel very optimistic when I, I travel to a place, a physical space, you know, with real humans, not, not an online website, but a real place with people that are dedicated to making the world a better place. And through the next generation is arguably kind of the most important work we can do. Education. I, I really think in the United States that we could and should have a powerful political party called EFP, the Education First Party. Put that before everything else, right? There's an argument to be made for that, yeah. But I'm a big third, fourth, fifth, tenth, fifteenth party guy. So maybe you know that about me. Um, as we said a, n- a number of times, you can access all of this material at atrustedspace.org and at allittakes.org, or just go to the show notes wherever you're listening to this, find the links there, and check them out. Um, maybe today, just try episode number one and see what you think. I would love to know what you think of this conversation. I would love to know what you think of the video series. And for the millionth time, please share, 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 share all of this stuff. That's how the hard work pays off. You know, you have these nonprofits who put together so much incredible material. And I've worked at them. You can put together book after book after book. And the work is great. The results are great. The tools that are created are powerful and they go absolutely nowhere if a wider audience isn't reached. And most nonprofits do not have the funding to get out there and market, market, market and compete with Disney and compete with Amazon and compete with all the people who are trying to get in front of your eyes and into your ear holes. The only army we have to do right, to do nice is you. So please help. Please help if you find 
the material engaging and valuable, which I trust that you will. All right, that's it. Everybody out there listening to this, please, please do your best to stay nice. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could lend a helping hand. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could see your neighbor's band. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could put away your clothes. If you wanted to be nicer, you can teach everything you know. And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice. And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice. And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice. And all we ask is that you just become 10% more So what? Big deal.